it just goes to show you that, you know, where you are in your life, even if you think you might not be on the right path or you feel lost, that those skills that you're learning can come in handy later on in your life when you least expect it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so come on with me and let's do this. Hey everyone, I am excited to bring you this conversation with Patrice Pulzer. Now, I've known Patrice for years, but it was a joy to talk with her and have this conversation. I learned new things about her. Patrice is really an open book, so you guys learn from her pages, to continue the metaphor. Um, She's got a lot of really incredible takeaways and tips and also some really practical things that you can apply as you build your successful company, career. So Patrice Poulter is the founder of Patrice Poulter Creative. It's a boutique video production company. She also runs successful boot camps and teaches masterclasses on video storytelling. She's a self-described late bloomer. And in this conversation, she shares her story in which she has taken many risks. And each risk, whether it was, you know, a quote unquote successful or not, has catapulted her into the next next phase of her career. She busts the myth that someone is like born to be an entrepreneur, that it's in your genes. She talks about how stagnancy is the death of creativity. And before I introduce you to Patrice now, I just need to say, have you ever heard that motherhood is the end to your career, especially in media? Well, Patrice is proof that that is completely false. Patrice is awesome. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. And without further delay, here she is. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Patrice. I am so excited that you asked me. I mean, I have been waiting for a few years now (laughs) to get the request, so I feel very, very, very privileged and and wanted now. So thank you. Well, yes, it is my absolute pleasure. And speaking of a few years, I was thinking when I was kind of putting together, like jotting some notes and questions for this conversation, it was really realizing like, we've known each other for a hot minute. (laughs) A hot minute, plural. I feel like I've known you when you were an infant out of college. I mean, you're younger than me, but I remember when you just graduated and we started working together in New York at NBC and neither of us had any idea what we were doing. We had no idea. And it's been such a treat to watch you on your journey and, and we'll, we'll, Actually, you know what? I was going to say, we'll get to your journey. And, but you know what? Let's, like, let's dive right in. So you briefly just mentioned that you and I met at NBC, but what, what was your path leading up to us meeting? Um, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. No, um, I definitely have a, a – I'm, I'm a late bloomer, I think, <laughs> is what you could call me. So I always tell people that are in their 20s, 
you know, if you are still an intern at the age of 29, do not fret. Your life can still work out because I was an intern at the age of 29. So, uh, Cliff notes, um, I was very lost after college and uh, didn't really know the path I wanted to be on. And so um, I essentially stumbled and I kind of did the classic mistake of I'm going to go to grad school, not because I necessarily was passionate or knew exactly, but because I was like 25 at the time and really lost in a career. I sold books door to door <laughs> for two years after college. What that kind of came. books? Um, not Bibles, just to make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they were educational books and it was this program that incubated you and taught you sales training. And I did really well at it. I did it in college. And so I just continued doing it out of college, but just like, didn't really give much thought to where I was going in life. Um, I, although I have to say it took me until I was 31 years old to make what I was making at the age of 25. <laughs> so you can make a lot of money, but you're going door to door book sales, which yeah. as you can imagine is pretty intense and pretty rough, a lot of rejection. So, um, but that comes full circle because, so I sold books for a few years, was very lost, um, decided then to go to grad school to, um, to get a little bit more knowledgeable about media and journalism and video, because I did dabble in video a bit in college, um, ended up doing a grad school program and, that grad school program ended up sending me to London. And mind you, I was in grad school when I was, by the time I actually applied, got in and started, I was almost 27. So most people, especially in the States, you do grad school, you graduate from college at the age of 22, and you go directly into grad school at the age of 23, graduate maybe when you're 24 with your master's and you're like on your way. Right. And so a lot of your classmates were, were experiencing Younger. at that age. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was in grad school at the age of 27, I felt ancient. Yeah. And I remember feeling, which sounds crazy now, but right. it, it, I remember feeling like, oh my God, I'm so behind. So I've always had this feeling of I'm behind. Like, why can't I figure out what I am supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And mind you, um, you know, I'm from the Midwest originally. By the age hey, of 27, you, yeah, Midwest is best. Holla. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the age of 27, most Midwestern ladies have that ring on their left finger. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my home friends were engaged and, you know, were like flying in their careers. And here I am, I'm in grad school. <laughs> so, um, you know, just kind of cliff notes, fast forward, I ended up being sent, I ended up getting an internship in London um, at CNN, and that sort of catapulted my, my career. So I was got a job at CNN, um, and I was, you know, in the field. I was doing some writing for digital, and after that, I ended up moving back to the states. But instead of going to Chicago, I ended up moving to New York uh, with without a job. This is like two thousand nine. So did you just feel like New York would have the media opportunities that you were seeking? Like more so? so Yeah. So if you remember, 
it, around 2008, 2009, there was that big crash. Yes, the economy. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, we're sort of experiencing it again. But right. at the time, I mean, that was when ev- like Lehman's, cl- like all the big banks collapsed. And I was in London at the time and I was going to stay. But all of a sudden, CNN said, your visa we can't extend your visa. Like you have to, I have to go back to the U S cause I couldn't work in London anymore. So when I went back to Chicago, I mean, it was a bad time. It was a bad time to graduate grad school. Like I had, there was not a lot of opportunities. And so I figured, you know what? York is bigger. It has more media opportunities. I'm going to give myself six months, moved to New York. You know, I found a spare room, you know, straight on the internet like a few months of savings and I was like if I don't get a job in six months then I'm gonna move back to Chicago Mm -hmm. so that was in 2009 and I ended up um getting a job in in New York I like hitting the my door-to-door book selling skills came in handy because it was like feast or famine and I was like I need to find a job in a really hard market right now so um I hustled like literally door to door, went to agencies online, tons of coffee meetings. Mm. This is when you can do coffee meetings. Yeah. This is when you could see people face to face. I know. RIP. And so, um, I ended up getting an overnight, it was, it's, it's almost as awful as it sounds, uh, an overnight writing position at Bloomberg television, writing about the Asian market financial news. No qualifications, like literally none. And I remember like I was went in for the interview and I'm thinking, this is, I, why am I here? Like there is, I should not be interviewing for this job. And I just didn't really think that I would be offered, but I think the hours, I mean, the hours were 1 a.m. Like you started at 1 a.m. and you ended at Oh man. 10. Oh my gosh. So basically any human who was willing to put themselves through this got the job. I, I was breathing. Okay. Oh <laughs> so they're like, you are, you are alive. You are, you are a human. And you know, I did have a journalism degree. Yeah. So I figured I did just come from CNN international. So that gave me a little bump of credibility. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I was desperate and they didn't know I was desperate, oh. but I was desperate. I was like, I need to find a job. I need to pay my bills. I need to pay rent. Um, and so I also had grad school loans I took out. And Ooh. so those were kicking in soon. So the pressure was real high. And so when they offered me a 1am to 10am position, I was like, yes, I'll figure it out. And so that was kind of my first foray into the New York media market. So uh, Patrice, I knew that you worked at Bloomberg before you and I met at NBC News, but I didn't, I don't think I knew that, I definitely did not know the story of like uh, how you sold books door to door for a while, like in there, um, in, in your path. And you know, I just have to say, because it strikes me as so similar, and this is such a compliment. Are you familiar with Sarah Blakely, who started- Oh my God, I love her. Yeah, yes. founder, right? Yeah. She's amazing. She is amazing. And, and 
her store is similar to that. She was selling fax machines. She would go to offices selling fax machines and it was like horrible. It will, the kind of, like the same kind of not fun thing that going door to door selling books would be, I imagine. But she talks about how she learned things doing that that then led to her founding Spanx. <laughs> and so I see, I see a parallel. No, and it's it's funny you mentioned that because I didn't think much of that. But all I remember, and, and you know, and even being at Bloomberg TV, you know, at that time, like, yeah, I was, uh, I think I was just turned, I was, it was like 2010 at this point. So maybe I was like 29 or something. And I just remember feeling so old. And I remember that no one, people thought I was like, people like couldn't work it out. They, it's like, they assume that because of my position, it was a lowly position. So for someone who was like, you know, 28, 29, like, doing the position I had, it was younger people. It was usually like the 24-year-old or the people out of college or the people that like were desperate and willing to take anything. So I don't think people around me, and I, and I, it's so, I don't mean to keep going back to this age thing, but I do, it has stuck with me because I remember feeling bad. Like there was always this inner feeling of just like bad about myself. Like, Mm. why am I, why aren't I, you know, my bosses were younger than me, (laughs) you know? And so it was a weird feeling to be in. And on top of that, it was a brutal job. Um, It was not a good working environment. And, but I needed to, but I needed it to work because it, it paid my bills until it actually got to a point where every quality of life, like everything was just taking a huge downturn. And, and then I'm like, I, I have to get out of this toxic Bloomberg TV was not a great, it wasn't the best place at the time. Hopefully it's changed now, but at the time it wasn't the best place mm. to work. And then you found you're out with next media. <laughs> Well then, Tim Peake, our, you know, we, you know, Tim Peake well, he is our, um, he was like my knight in shiny armor at the time. Um, But actually that's not entirely true. But again, so when I realized that I needed to get out of that place, I kind of put back on my book selling skills. It was like hitting the pavement again. I'm like, okay, I have a year under my belt now in New York. I have a year, this job, it's awful. I'm going to get let go. It was, it was just that type of a job where they just like let people go with no moment's notice. You didn't really know why. So I, I, you know, I saw it all around me in the newsroom Yeah, and I'm like, I know I'm going to get let go if I don't get out of here first. Mm. And so I started just the same thing. And at a random contact of a contact of a contact. And here's the other thing I did as well. And I'm sure a lot of people in this very unstable economy right now, um, you know, there's a lot of people unemployed. There's a lot of people nervous about being unemployed. It is, it's a numbers game. And I remember every week I would just have targets, like metric targets. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to talk to five new people a week. And I didn't care if it was, Mm -hmm on email, on a phone, a phone call, you know, in coffee, coffee meeting, an interview, informational. It, it had a tick. I just had to connect with five new wow. people. Good for you though. That's, a, that's amazing. Did you just come up with that on your own or do you remember where you got 
the inspiration well, to be so proactive like that? Well, I, I think because it's so overwhelming when you're in a bad situation or you don't have a job mm-hmm. um, or you're coming into a place and you need to find employment. So there's so much you can't control in all of that stuff, but you can control how many people you connect with. So I figured it's, it's a numbers game. The more people you talk to, it will bound to lead me to an opportunity. So if you treat it like, and I'm not mathy at all, but I just, it, it gave me like peace to know, like, as long as I was hitting my targets of whatever it was, whether it was five people, eight people, two people, I don't remember. As long as I was hitting that every week, I felt like I was being proactive and it would work out. So that's that's such practical advice, Patrice, like, because, so there are a couple kinds of advice and I subscribe to both of them really, but I tend to be really drawn to this, this idea that like, you know, put it into the universe or like put your energy in the cosmos and it'll all work out. And I mean, I do believe that to a certain degree, but then it's like the other huge element that is not talked about as much is the numbers game. And this is exactly what you're saying. And, and there's so much truth in it. Yeah. And I feel that it's a lot more tangible. Like when you are miserable and I was working overnight, I was exhausted. I mean, I could wish all I want, think positive all I want, but at the end of the day, like I knew I needed to make, it wasn't, no one was going to do it for me. So I think if you can attach just numbers like that, and that's to anything, right? That's like, you know, sales or, um, you know, if you're trying to, uh, you know, do market research. So it, it kind of attaching, just taking the emotion out of it, taking the chance out of it and just mm. applying what you can control. Yeah. So then, um, so through that, I eventually was led to Darrell. You remember oh, Darrell? Yeah, Darrell Dawson. Yeah. I know. Right. Darrell Dawson, another fellow NBC alumni, but, um, I didn't know him, but someone who knew someone who knew someone knew him and he met me for coffee at 30 rock. And I was telling him about my, what I was doing. And I, I was like, I, you know, is there anyone? He goes, you know, I don't know, but you should talk to this guy named Tim Peake. Mm-hmm. He has this group within NBC and they do video content. Um, it's not writing, but, you know, maybe maybe you'd be a good bet. So he put me in touch with Tim Peake and Tim Peake agreed to interview me. And so this is, I'm going to bring first full circle and then I'll stop. But so when I met with Tim Peake and he, he tells me this now, because I still talk to him. He says he uses this a lot in his corporate training. He said, you were woefully underqualified for the skills portion of the job because the job he was hiring for, if you remember in next media, everyone was a shooter editor because mm-hmm. you had to be out in the, he was doing at the time he was ahead of his time. This was in 2010. He was doing branded content where, you know, you know, like coming from NBC, it's an editorial world. The editorial is the gold. Like you did not go into branded content because it was almost like sacrilegious right. at that time. And if you were at the Today Show, like, you know, you, there's editorial and there's advertorial. And right. Tim Peake knew he saw the industry further along than most people in his industry. And he started um, doing branded content, working with clients and making really awesome videos with, you know, a story first, but 
they were paid for by the companies. So he was hiring specifically for people who knew how to shoot video and knew how to edit because he had to send those people into the field to be a one woman band, right? I hadn't, did not have that experience coming from CNN, coming from uh, Bloomberg. I was like in the newsroom, I was writing, it was a little bit of producing, but he said he hired me not because of my technical skills, but because when I found out that you sold books door to door for four years and you like, and you did well at that, he said, I figured you cannot teach someone's, you can't really teach mentality and attitude, but you can teach someone how to shoot a camera. You can teach someone how to edit on Final Cut Pro or Avid or whatever you're using. So he hired me and he said, because you sold books door to door that I'm taking a chance on you. And once, once we became better friends, he felt comfortable telling me that, but it just goes to show you that you know, where you are in your life, even if you think you might not be on the right path or you feel lost is if that, that those skills that you're learning can come in, in handy later on in your life when you least expect it. I love it. And I love though that you got that, that affirmation from Tim Peak about these years of, of selling books. Like, you know, it wasn't like you just had to like guess or like, oh, I'm sure maybe somehow, some way it helped me. Like, oh no, this is like, it was a very direct correlation. Even after Next Media, that part is so interesting as well. But let's circle back to it because again, totally, like your, those experiences helped you take the risks that you end, have ended up taking. Um, yes. And so what is, so tell me, tell me like, what are, what are you doing now? What's the, what's the current Patrice Poulter world? The current Patrice, so um, I am, I am definitely the definition of an accidental entrepreneur. So right now, and I'll explain what that means without sounding cliche or rolling your eyes worthy, but Right now, so I own a, um, a boutique video company. Uh, it's a very small team. It's in New York, and we work with brands, we work with companies, we work with individuals, and we help them uh, make better stories through video. We help with anything from execution to I need, I want to do social media video, but I'm confused, or I need more video on my website. So um, I have a video company in its purest form. Um, And I also have another part of my business where I recognize that it's the luxury to outsource video production and small businesses and DIY entrepreneurs and people that are working on their passion projects, moonlighting after work or in the wee hours of the morning, they need to wear a lot of hats. And in today's day and age, as I know you get this, if you want to launch something, an idea, a product, you need video. You Mm -hmm. just do. It's how people want their content. It's the best way to connect on an emotional, you're using emotion, Mm -hmm. visual, audio, you're using all, so many more senses than, you know, if you're just writing. So, um, or even just audio. So um, it is, I also run video storytelling boot camps where I help entrepreneurs uh, level up their own storytelling skills using video and how to drive 
more sales, increase their followings, get more customers, and increase their brand awareness for their product. What does a boot camp mean? Because a you know, boot camp. Yeah, it sounds. Is it is it like pretty intensive? Is it like a short amount of time, and you like really throw yourself into this thing? Yes. So um, a boot camp. So the boot camp that I run is a four week program. So it's it's intense, but just intense enough where it's not all encompassing. So right. it's four weeks. Uh, it's intimate groups of like-minded, usually entrepreneurs, but we get a lot of marketing, a lot of DIYers. We get people that are in transition that maybe are working at companies and they've been working on that startup idea on the side and they know they're going to need to do their own marketing or they don't have a very large marketing budget. So they're going to need to take a lot of that storytelling and messaging on their own. So I get a wide variety of students, but we meet once a week and it's really, really, it's actionable instruction. It's not just theory. It's not like Mm. 68% of people will go to your website. If you have video, we're not just spewing facts. It's like, no, no, no. How do you become a better storyteller if Mm. you do not come from that background? Yeah. You know, we have script templates, checklists, we have cheat sheets, and there's a private Facebook group for people that want to engage with each other. So I'm, I'm trying to build um, a supportive community because I think especially now self-sufficiency in business is even more important with the economy and with companies contracting. It's like, no, like people are going to be monetizing their knowledge a lot more I think in today's world. Absolutely. I mean, storytelling is such a, such an important skill and beyond all the reasons that you're talking about, even that's a life skill. That's how I see it. No, it is a life skill. And it's not just about even, it's not just even about being an entrepreneur or running a business. I mean, if you are in your company and you have to make presentations, if you have to negotiate with your boss, if you have to lead sales teams, if you are in a tech company and you are in product marketing and you need to figure out how to get that product and make it market fit, but you need to be able to explain why your product is best for that intended audience. That is all storytelling. But I think sometimes storytelling is such an overused word because it's used a lot now. And I think this is my opinion, but because, and you have the same background, I think we have a superpower because we're trained (laughs) journalists. You know, we're not marketers, by trade. So I, what I encounter a lot in my line of work with my client one-to-one custom video business and with my students is you get a lot of marketers that come from a marketing background, um, which is great because you need that too. But marketing is not the same as being trained as a storyteller from a journalistic hat. And so I believe that that skill to going back to grad school at the age of 27 and getting a lot more focused and being in the field at Bloomberg and CNN and the Today Show, those are in the field skills that have that set me up to now work with companies and brands and use those same skills. Like, you know, when we were at the Today Show, if, if your senior producer 
didn't like your piece or if they would watch your piece and they'd stop it within a minute and you'd be like, what, what, what's wrong? And they're like, don't like that shot. That's a boring beginning. Why, why did you put that fight there? I mean, it was, you didn't make air if your story didn't connect with your seniors. So the the folks at the Today Show are so good at that. They, they really have a skill for that. And, and yeah, they, they would make sure that you had your, your shit together if you were going to bring something to air. Right. Exactly. And I think a lot of times too, in the business world, you can get in a vacuum because you get at your company and it's, it's in that company speak where when you're at a journal, when you're at a news organization, your audience is many. And so you're not, you really, the, the, the grounding unifier in that is for telling good stories are the best practices for telling stories. Yeah. Where when you get into business, all of a sudden your stories have a much more niche focused. So sometimes you lose the storytelling best practice element and you start focusing on more of the business or make sure our product is shown in the first 30 seconds. And if you start challenging that to a marketer and you say, well, why? Is that interesting to your audience or is that fulfilling a different agenda here? So us coming in as journalists, we have a different lens on which to tell stories through a business angle. I love that you call it a superpower and that you have included (laughs) me in that because I suddenly just feel like so much. I'm just like radiating over here. I'm like, yes, my superpower. You are. You're (laughs) one of the original OGs, man. Like you did your own. You were one of the first people in NBC to go off on your own and do your own thing and really you were one of the first people that I can think of and you probably don't even realize that you did it is you had to make you again, not to use this cliche word, but you branded Katie Quinn and KQ as a storyteller. Like, you know, before you were an employee at NBC, an employee at the today show, but then you transferred seamlessly into then taking your natural skills and your interest and branding your whole aura as as its own brand story, which was seamless for you. So you really understood that really early on before I think a lot of people just in general, you were, you were ahead of the curve. Oh, well, thank you. That, that means like, that means a huge amount coming from you. It really does. And so, so let's go back to like how you then made the leap from journalist to entrepreneur. And we'll get back to the today show because that did, you know, we haven't talked about that much and, um, a lot of learning from that experience. Right. But, but just while we're talking about the leap to entrepreneurship, you, so you called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. What does, what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of people that aren't entrepreneurs or don't run their own businesses have this opinion that entrepreneurs are different. You have to be born knowing that you want to run your own business. Like people that do their own thing, they know exactly from day one that they want to do it or they're extra ambitious or they're extra 
focused or they were born differently with a different we're, set of skills. Right. It's like I, a gene that people, they're yeah, It's like a have. gene thing. Like you're born with the entrepreneur gene or you're not. Right. right. I thought that I 100% thought that myself, which is why I, I say that I never in a million years ever for once wanted to run my own business ever <laughs> thought I was an entrepreneur. I never thought of myself as someone who, what business idea do I have? Like, I don't have any original ideas you know, because sometimes it would come and co- if you were talking about it with your friends or something. And I, I remember being like, how do people just start businesses? Like, how do they know they want to start, insert that idea or that yeah. service? It yeah. was like, I really did think they were different. Mm-hmm. And so um, back in 2016, I was pregnant. I was on maternity leave with my second kid. And I got recruited in when I was on maternity leave, which like doesn't, I don't think happens very much. I got recruited by a startup to go. They wanted me to come lead their video editorial team. And it was a dream job. I mean, it was one of those experiences where or those moments where I couldn't even believe it was happening. They were following me on Snapchat. The, oh, the, yeah. the, <laughs> by the way, I was too old to be on Snapchat. Then the <laughs> Today show intern like taught me Snapchat right before she's like, you'd be so good on Snapchat. Like I think mom, I'm like, I don't think moms need to be on Snapchat. But anyway, um, I got really into Snapchat, like really into Snapchat. So I, I, I have like this like little Snapchat world and I didn't know this at the time, but a guy was following me on Snapchat who was like the CEO of this new startup. So he reached out to me on LinkedIn, which is also another thing. People like to poo-poo social media, but if you are, if you're doing your thing and you're, and you're, and you're enjoying it, like you, you, you never know. And so I got this guy then reached out to me on LinkedIn. He's like, this is crazy. I've been following on Snapchat. I know I'm a dude and you're like talking about breastfeeding, but I'm into it. Like, he's like, we have, like, we're start, but here's the thing. They, they had a mom platform. They bought a mom community online and they wanted to take that really, really popular mom group on Facebook and elevate it to media, to video. So long story short, I didn't return to the Today Show and I got my boss's blessing because I was very conscious of not burning bridges. Um, And he's like, get out. (laughs) He's like, no one gets out of here. If you have an opportunity to learn a new, something new in digital media, like go, please yeah. like come back if you need to, but leave. Yeah. So I, can I, can I, I'm going to interrupt you really quickly because yeah. like just like the lead up to like you were saying, like getting into Snapchat and then this guy reaching out to like following you on Snapchat and then reaching out to you on LinkedIn is that the leading up to it, like, so you had your first child, you were, you were working at the Today Show and Meanwhile, while you had that full-time job at NBC, you were kind of, you were creating your own kind of mommy brand of sorts, right? Like you, you were pretty publicly sharing things about like how you would bring Jensen to restaurants in Brooklyn, right? And like, how does that work? And you, you were very open, you were sharing. And so you were kind of honing your personality in this 
particular field. So it wasn't like just out of nowhere. It's like you had really built up this content. True. And, 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 and just to kind of touch on that really quick, you know, you tend to hear a lot, especially being in media. Well, you better do everything before you have kids because once you have kids, your media career is going to die, especially if you're on camera. I wasn't yeah. on camera necessarily at the time at the Today Show, but it's this feeling, especially as a female in media, that you are on a timeline and you are on a ticking timeline. And um, I, I hate to admit it, for some of the roles, especially the on-air roles, some of that is true, unfortunately. But I also think it applies to men. You know, b- being on air in certain markets, it's a, it's a younger person. It, it, there's a lot of ageism in in, te- in television still. So, but but that thought again, and this feeds into my own weird insecurity, always feeling late to the game. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I was, oh my god, you know, I had finally gotten to the Today Show in a relatively quick time after being an intern. And I had, was pregnant and I got pregnant earlier than I thought. And I was like, is my career over? I mean, I thought that, you know, and, but after I had my first baby, it was the opposite for me. It was like the world, it's like the rose colored glasses came off and everything, or it was like the world was seen in color, mm-hmm. it was in crystal clear color. It was, it, everything became a lot more clear to me, um, and not only did I want to lean into working in my career, I wanted to make it meaningful and I wanted to make it worthwhile, wow. which I didn't, I was missing that component before I had my first baby. And so as a result, I started, it was a little, it, at the time at the Today Show, they didn't have a lot of parenting content. Now there's so much on the internet, but in like 2014, it wasn't as prevalent. And so I took, I saw the opportunity and I'm like, I'll start like making videos. And so that's what I did. I started making yeah. videos on my own Which time. Which so smart. Yeah. And today.com would post them, not the Today Show, but today.com would. So as a result, I don't know, I was such an, I was such an idiot. Like I look back at it now, I'm like, I had such an amazing plan. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was just like, yeah, I'll give you a video here and there. And they took anything I gave them. And now I'm like, oh my God. God, (laughs) they would not do that now. And that's the thing is no one knew what they were doing back then, right? Like, it's like no one knew. So, because I've I've thought certain things too about like, oh, I let this like opportunity pass or something. And it's like, back then no one knew what was an opportunity and what wasn't. I remember you were on the show all the time, like interviewing chefs, like in the plaza and stuff. Yeah, but again, for today.com, like for digital. And they were just like, oh, Katie's willing to do it. Sure, like throw, give her the camera. Throw her on the plaza. That's the same thing too. And I remember I did a series. I ended up pitching, it was called Baby Basics. And I said, why don't we look at the most popular search terms on SEO? And at the time people were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, let's just look at SEO see what new parents are Googling and let's just make little videos. And so I, me and Michael Galvin, who you know is a fellow Today Show alumni as well, the two of us just did it. And the Today Show, Savannah and Al Roker, I'll never forget when I was on maternity leave, my series launched and the Today Show promoted it and they're like Patrice Pulitzer or so when I got in fairness, when I was reached out to on maternity leave by someone who was looking for someone with video skills to lead a, a new parenting startup, 
I did, it would make sense. It made sense. Yes. And it's because of like, I just wanted to connect those dots. It's because of you threw yourself into this thing that was a part of your job, but also kind of wasn't like you definitely put in the extra hours, the extra effort, the extra work um, to make it your thing. So yeah, so that is so totally. And also I do probably don't, I don't know if you remember, but I got really into the refugee crisis. Yes. Oh my gosh, I do. I had forgotten though. And when I was pregnant, I I remember I pitched, this is actually, um, this is probably, this could be a good corporate lesson as well. Um, I remember all of a sudden um, there was that photo of that little boy washed on the shore. And I remember, you know, in news you get desensitized. I hate to say it, but the TVs are on all day when you're working. And sometimes you see things and you look up and you're like, "Eh." I just remember seeing that image one day I was at work and it like stopped me dead. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I had no idea really what was going on in Syria in the, and I felt so embarrassed. And so, um, I started learning more about it and on a whim, I pitched my boss at the today show. There's this woman in California and she started a GoFundMe, and she's collect, she's a stay at home mom and she's collecting baby carriers to like, you know, these American women going to Greece. I think it could be a good story. He's like, no, we're not doing that. So I said, okay. So I then pitched the head of digital. So I pitched, um, well, Ashley Parrish and then whoever her boss was. So I actually went above her. I went like, it was like Ashley Parrish and then someone else above her. And I also included my boss on the email, which I probably could have gotten fired, but I was so passionate, not fired, but I probably could have gotten in trouble because it was definitely a bit of insubordination. Right. Um, but I was so passionate and I was just like, someone needs to, this is a good story. Yeah. And so, um, and as you know, I was on the weekend today. So you didn't always like, we were a little bit of the, you know, the redheaded stepchild, so to say, like, you know, we were not the cool, cool kids. And so, um, when I concluded my boss on the email, I was like, Hey guys, here's the story. I think we should do it and I'll do it. I don't care how, but we should do it. And the head of digital is like, this is amazing. We let's do it. And my boss, I'm not going to say his name, but you know who he is. Um, he called me into his office that day. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to actually get fired. I'm like a new mom. Like, you know, yeah, I was a new mom at the time. And he looked at me and he's like, first of all, you shouldn't have done that. Like, shouldn't put me, you know, like, come talk to me. I'm like, I did come talk to you. You said no. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that being said, go ahead and do the freaking story. He's like, because I created, there was a scarcity. Like he knew that another unit wanted it. And so mm-hmm. he said, go do it. So I was sent to Greece with another female, just the two of us. And we backpacked journaled. We were there for a week in the refugee camps. And that story ended up winning um, a Gracie award. So again, I was putting myself, I, I became attracted to content that had like this mothering black, a bit stereotypical, but I became attracted to that type of content. And I started yeah. doing it. Yeah. And when that's, that's it, you came attracted to it and you started doing it and you did yes. something about it, which is so yes. amazing. Um, okay. So, so, so you, 
fast forward from there. So you got this job offer and you took it at this startup. I took it. I took yeah. it. My boss, this is Asia. By that point, I had proven my credibility. And I was like, I was riding high at that time. Like I went on maternity leave. I had just won an award. Like I had just gotten a raise. I mean, I was in a good position. I was, ex- you know, NBC, they gave you six months props to them. They are very family friendly, I have to say. Good and so I had NBC. six months off paid basically. I was like riding high. So um, long story short, I ended up taking this dream job and the dream job ended up being the worst professional experience in my entire life. And so it threw me for a loop. It was awful. Like it, it was a very, very, very bad experience. And so it was a startup. Um, the startup is, the company is still around, so I'm not going to name it, but it is, um, I mean, it was like, there was like a lawyer involved, like in, in there was, there's been many women that have come out of that company since. So it's just it's an interesting place. Cause it's, it's like a mom brand yet. It is very, very unfriendly towards mothers and dad and fathers. And so anyway, I was completely thrown for a loop because I was kind of, I was so excited to start this new position. And I was so nervous. I was at the Today Show for six years. And as you know, NBC is a great place to be. Smart people, like it was, it was a truly, it was a, it was a really great place to, to work. Yeah. Um, and especially going back after maternity leave, after having two kids, you're such a weird, you're a weirdo in that first coming back as a new mom, you feel like a fish out of water. Hmm. And so I came back to a brand new company when I was a few months postpartum after my second kid. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't really understand the environment I was in. And so, um, but I was embarrassed because I had left the Today Show the family was on my insurance because my husband took a professional risk because I had the stable job. I had equity in this company. So it was a four-year play. Like this was a really big deal. And within 60 days, I knew it wasn't going to work out and they tried to force me out and it got really bad. It was a, it was truly like a sliding door because it was at the end of 2016 they had just thrown me like a going away party, like literally months before. And now here I am not able to cut it. My esteem was literally at an all time low. It's amazing. Like four or five months prior to that, I was probably like at the peak feeling of self-confident and feeling good about my career Mm -hmm. and what I had accomplished. And within five months of that, less than I was a shell of the person I was, I was stripped bare of, I felt like I had no skills. I felt really embarrassed. Like there's something wrong with me. I can't cut it outside of NBC. There must be, it must be me because how could I not? This was my my dream job. How could this not work? It was one of those jobs where every single day I would walk through the door. I would just, I could cry now thinking of it. It was like so raw. Like I would just sob. Like, and my poor husband would be like, you know, the first week or two that happens, you're like, okay. I mean, every day I cried. And I remember my three and a half year old at the time, I remember he came up and I knew this is when like, it was bad. He's like, mom, why are you always crying? And I just, it was one of those jobs that like was so all consuming. And I had so much, um, I put so much like expectation on it in me. And it was, I've never felt like such a failure, even more than being an intern at 29 or all that stuff. Like this was, uh, it was like a rock bottom for me. So how'd you get yourself out? Of so, the rock okay. bottom? So, so yeah. So fast forward, 
my boss is like, you can come back. And I was gonna come back. I mean, it, that was like, I, I was stability, a salary. Like, I mean, going back to the today show is not a bad option. Yeah. And I remember at the top of 2017, I ended up getting, because it was so toxic, I ended up getting a small severance. So I had about three to four months pay and they kept me on health insurance. I negotiated that they kept me on my family health insurance because my husband didn't, no one had health insurance if I didn't have it. So um, it was really scary time. I'm like, what have I done? I've like put my family and, you know, living in New York, two kids, freaking expensive. Like I was just, I felt horrible on so many levels, not just a me level, but like, I'm actually putting my family out Hmm. and it's not about me anymore. It's like about my kids. Like my husband like felt it was okay for him to take the career risk finally and leave his stable company. And so, um, he told me, he's like, take it. When I got the severance, he's like, you know what? He goes like, go, go try something. He's like, I know that you have it in you. He's like, Mm -hmm. and at the time I will say the good thing about this, this job, this, this dream job turned nightmare job is I was supposed to be doing editorial video. That was what I was hired for. But when they, when they brought me on, they were too much of a startup. They realized that they weren't ready for editorial. So they put me on the branded side of video. So I was now tasked with working with brands and doing shoots for brands. And um, I had a little bit of experience with Tim Peake and Next Media, but this was at a much higher scale. And so I remember I had the aha moment when I was on these shoots and these big companies like Johnson and Johnson and Ogilvy and these like massive, massive companies, General Mills giving this company hundreds of thousands of dollars to make like a one minute Facebook video. Yes. And it would be like so much money to be. (laughs) And and this is at the time when Facebook was inflating video views. So everyone, every view had like, you know, and they had a solid Facebook audience with this mom community. So a video was literally getting a million views. So they would charge out like, six high six figures to make like a 60 second video. And it would be like me, an intern out of college and like a a shooter. And I remember being like, this is crazy. (laughs) Like if they only knew like who is making their videos right now, I mean, not to, not to downplay our skills, but it was just, I couldn't believe how much money. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember thinking I could make this video for like a quarter of the price and it would be better. And like, I, I knew people cause of my journalism background. I had a lot of talented shooters and editors that we knew. So in my brain, I did think there's a gap here. It's like, there's something wrong that like the only way is to like either spend a million dollars on a commercial or like hundreds of thousand dollars on digital video when I knew that we could make it cheaper and just is high quality. Yeah. So I gave my soul with the severance. It was kind of perfect. I had four months. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I didn't say I'm going to start a business or I'm going to start a company or I'm going to be a founder. I was like, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to make some video. I'm going to try to get a client to see like if they'll let me make them video for their website. I I had no business plan, nothing. And that's what happened. I got a client 
my first one of my clients, the Department of Education. What? I mean, three and a half years later, I'm still here. <laughs> well, and so something that I think is really important that you and I have you have said before when you and I have talked is like you fell into it, but it was it was based off of skills that you worked really hard to have and you took a risk. So it was like this combination of things that like, that actually led to success. Totally. And, and, and there is an element of risk. And I always tell people, um, as, you know, now I'm talking to a lot of like co- old coworkers and they're in their jobs and they're feeling nervy because, you know, the companies are making layoffs and, you have to get comfortable taking risk and you can take smart risk even when you're working in your company. I always tell people you have to be moving in a forward direction every couple years, whether that's a title change, whether that is switching units, whether that is um, leaving your company to go to a competitor or leaving your company to go to another company, even if it's in the same industry, because those are risky moves, but it's when you get stagnant and you stay in these comfortable jobs and you end up staying there for a while, all of a sudden it becomes really hard to switch. And I see it around me all the time. And I remember being at the Today Show and seeing women, and, and I just used women as an example because I was a mother and I was looking ahead of me. And these women had been in their jobs since they've been interns. They hadn't left NBC. They've never done anything else. Not None of them seemed terribly happy. And I remember thinking, projecting a decade from where I was, like, I don't want to still be here in 10 years. Like, right. I knew. And so you have to get comfortable taking risks because what I did was a risk, but I had had some muscle memory for taking risks. So the risk- Get comfortable taking risks. It's such a, like- it's kind of a counterintuitive thing to say, get comfortable taking risks, but because risks are inherently uncomfortable, like uncomfortable. So Very how can you get comfortable taking risks? Very uncomfortable. But, I, but I love that. And it's funny. I remember before I took this, my dream job, the what was supposed to be the dream job, I remember I had a talk with Tim Peake and I chatted with him. I'll never forget. I was like in Wisconsin. Um, it was the summer and I was still on maternity leave. And he said, I go, do you think I should take this job or do you think I should go back to the Today Show or should I go back to the Today Show after maternity leave? He said, I think you should take it, not because I think it's going to be successful in the way that you're thinking. He goes, it, it could be and it might be. He goes, but even if it's not successful and it's a complete disaster, you are going to learn so much and you don't realize how much you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, because I was thinking, oh God, but I don't want to leave to fail. It was, it just felt weird, but his, it really resonated with me because it was a disaster, <laughs> it was a disaster on its face. Um, but he was so right. I learned, I learned more in those three and a half months than I probably had in like a few years being at the same company because I just had to. And so I think that's when you toughen up. That's when you sharpen your toolkit. You know, it's like, you know, I didn't know how to shoot and edit. Like I had to learn how to shoot and edit. You know, when I got on the job, it's like stuff like that, like keeps you fresh and yes. keep you in you root. It's like a skill that you learn. Yeah. So Patrice, where do you find 
inspiration. So now, cause you've talked, you, you were vulnerable enough with us in this conversation to like, we know like, you know, some of the, some of the harder things that you've gone through on your path yeah. to get to this point. And so the fact that you are on like this, this upswing and you're doing great stuff and you're so creative. I mean, you and I talked off the podcast recently and I left that call feeling so inspired by you and, and so proud of you and excited for you. So where do you look for inspiration or if you're feeling like, I don't have any new ideas or I just need a, a, a jolt? Um, what's your, what's your go-to? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and the answer, you know, I know this is probably, it can go the opposite, but I have learned now to curate my Instagram feed where I am only following other people that inspire me, teach me, make me want to do better, or I'm learning from. And I think social media is, can be used very awfully and it can make people feel really bad. And definitely me too. You can get in a spiral of comparing yourself, vortex of comparison shame. But I actually, there are people on Instagram that like are ahead of me and me personally of where like I one day want to bring my business, you know, like my teaching, my story boot camps. Like I love doing it. I feel like I discovered this thing in me and I'm helping lots of entrepreneurs and I love it. And it's a lot more tangible sometimes when you're doing that versus making video for a big company. Sometimes yeah. that doesn't feel as useful. So there are people that have been in that space for a hell of a lot longer than I have. And they're, to me, they're like literally geniuses. And so I learn from them and I get inspired from, I also like, because I'm a mom, I, t- I tend to be attracted to mothers who are doing their own thing and rocking and rolling. Like, look, there are so many amazing young people like in their twenties who are just like killing it and kicking ass and like millionaires, you know, 25. And it's amazing what they've done, but that doesn't inspire me. It inspires me when I see the struggle. Like if I, especially mothers, single mothers, I follow a lot of single mothers that are killing it in their careers and they did it on their own in the wee hours of the morning. So Instagram um, following people that don't make me feel bad um, is, is one area. And also just like being with my family. I know that sounds so cliche. I'm also pregnant with my third <laughs> crazy person. <laughs> um, but honestly, like just being around my family inspires me because it, you know, my, I have two little boys and they see their mom hustling. They see their mom working her ass off, you know? And so that makes me excited. Cause you know, my little one now is like really into taking videos and he loves to like take photos. And so I feel like I've had a small hand in that. So it, they inspire me to do better because at the end of the day, I want my kids to do better than me. And so I think that is the real motivation behind why I keep trying new things, pushing the envelope, making myself uncomfortable, which I'm uncomfortable all the time. Like you're never really, it's always a sliding scale. I think success and running your own thing, there's always the next level to achieve. And so you have to like learn how to kind of take stuff in, in the moment, um, 
which I like don't do, but I, I'm trying to get better at that. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I, you know, I don't think what you said about your family, I don't think it's corny at all. And I think it's really inspirational. And, and I, I look to you a lot if, if, and when Connor and I start a family, like you are a shining star uh, for, oh, for me. You. Um, well, I, you know, this whole notion, and I think it's outdated now. Like, I think maybe even like 10 years ago, it was more of a thing. But I do think, though, there are a lot of women, and I get it. You know, you kind of, there's all these things, I have to do this by the time I'm 30. Or because there's this feeling that once you hit whatever milestone, or once you have kids, that's it. Like, right. you know, you're not going to be able to do as many things. And that is categorically not true. Hmm. Um, I've traveled more since I've had my kids. Um, it's, it's, it's what you value. And also it is the partner that you choose. Like it mm-hmm. makes it a hell of a lot easier that I have a husband who is aligned with me and mm-hmm. supportive of me. And, um, we have the same mentality about raising kids. So that makes it easier. So I'm not like fighting a battle of like, no, like I want to do this, but you want to do that. So, um, no, having kids has been a game changer for my professional life. How do you keep it quirky in your life? Well, it's really easy. Cause you know how you always have like one friend in the group that you grow, that you grew up with that is the one that you rip on the one that you make fun of the one that, like you just, you just like nail all the time. I am that friend. Yeah. Like I literally, I don't know what it is about me, but I am that person in pretty much any group I'm in. Even if I make new friends, it's like there's something that resonates. I just get ripped on. I get ripped on by my family. Constantly. Um, you know, and I, I think people know that you have a good sense of humor and that you don't take yourself too seriously. I think it's because, and I've thought about it because he's right. My, one of my best friends is like, I've been trying to build, to knock down your iron curtain of self-esteem since the late nineties. Um, it's, I think, cause I am an open book and I'm not ashamed of some of the struggles I've had. Um, and also like, you can tell me, you know, I, I feel like I can take criticism fairly. You can tell me anything like I'm direct. So that can be uncomfortable for people, but I feel comfortable being direct because if you say it back to me, I'm not going to, I'm not a, I'm not going to get all like nervous Nelly or get offended. (laughs) It takes a lot for me to get truly offended. I can't even think of anything that would really offend me. So um, I think when you're willing to admit when you're wrong, I also like am not afraid of saying, I don't know what I'm doing or I need help. And I think there's a level sometimes with entrepreneurship, especially online, where you have to kind of have this facade of always knowing what you're doing. And I don't think that's useful to anyone because this is such a hard road. Most people don't know what they're doing. So I'm very comfortable with admitting a mistake. I think that as a result, um, makes me more approachable, I think, sometimes in the sense that people just feel comfortable ripping on me all the time. And it's yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. And so, and uh, before I let you go, Patrice, you had mentioned that you are doing this um, storytelling boot camp. Um, how can people find more about that? And when is that happening? Yes. So, um, there's a few ways. So I am kicking off a, this, the video storytelling boot camp in August. Um, but if people want to find out if it's for them, then I am hosting a few uh, free 
master classes. They're about an hour long. They're live, and I'm gonna it's 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 I'm gonna be teaching a lot about video marketing, um, how to think more effectively about storytelling using video, even if you've never done video ever in your whole life, even if you hate being on camera. And so you're gonna walk away from that hour not only learning a lot, but you'll also get a nice little sampler if the four-week boot camp is going to be a good fit for you. So um, honestly, one of the best ways to keep in touch with me, I'm very responsive on DMs, is my Instagram. I post all about my video camps. I post about my clients. I post tips and tricks and also, you know, like insights into entrepreneurship and what works, what doesn't. So my handle is at Patrice Poltzer. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-E-P-O-L-T-Z-E-R. And that's a good way to connect with me and be in touch. And also, if you are interested about the video storytelling boot camp, um, there are a few courses coming at the end of the month in a webinar. And I, I can share that link with you as well, Katie. Cool. Perfect. Then that will all be in the show notes. And um, Patrice, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a joy to talk with you and learn more after I've known you for all these years, but to learn more about what got you where you are. It's really good stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. I hope um, I hope your audience gets some valuable tidbits. Um, you know, I know, uh, and I think just the, to kind of, if you had to do like a few asterisks or a few sum up points, I think it's, um, you can't compare the first step of your journey to someone else's 50th step or 100th step. So your journey is your journey. And I think as long as you're learning new skills and you're curious along the way, even if you're in a job that you know is not your dream job or you're in a company that you know you don't want to be at long term as long as you're networking and meeting interesting people and learning about maybe different areas in the business those are all skills that you might not even realize but are going to help you down the line should you when you ever want to embark on your own thing or when you get ultimately into a company that you love and you know you want to stay there so keep it curious yeah keep it curious I love it. I love it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget, you can follow Instagram at Patrice Pulzer. You can also find information about signing up for her masterclasses and boot camps from her Instagram. Thanks, as always, to Funky BQ for the original theme song you're listening to here. And as always, don't forget to keep it quirky. And while you're at the quirkiness, you should rate this podcast, give it those five stars, and also leave a comment. And you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter to see what I'm up to, all the new stuff that I'm finding on the internet, and also content I'm creating in terms of video, podcasts, and everything in between. I'll see you guys back here real soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.